Luke chapter 12. Moving forward, pressing onward. Luke chapter 12 and first 12 verses we'll look at this afternoon. A warning against hypocrisy. As we come to this passage, we notice in the life of the Lord Jesus that there was a lot of more increased hostility toward the person of Jesus. The last chapter closed with Jesus coming, uh, the enemies of Jesus coming together to plot for his, his demise. Uh, but they were not open about their plans. They were very secretive about it. They recognized his popularity among the people, and so they hid their true motives behind a mask, the mask of hypocrisy. And so Luke draws us to this situation with the opening verse. In verse 1, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, what were the circumstances to which Luke was referring? Well, he's referring to the previous verses where the scribes and the Pharisees began to plot against Jesus as they might catch him in something. In verse 53 and 54, verse Chapter 11, he says, And he said these things unto them. The scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Sounds a little like the conversation at mealtime today about fishing. At the table I sat at for my dessert there, I heard these kind of things. Fish people plotting how they might catch the big one. Well, these Pharisees, scribes, were doing that. They were laying wait for him like you fishermen lay and wait in your boats or on your dock seeking to catch something. Well, Jesus, back in verse 42 through 52, had spoken to the Pharisees and the experts in law, and he'd given six woes. Now here in chapter 12, he's speaking to his disciples about these Pharisees and these experts in law and gives six warnings. Now, Jesus already addressed them in the preceding chapter. He gave them six woes. Now he addresses his own disciples. Now, why does he do that? Well, because they run the danger of being caught in the middle of the storm. They're going to be hearing accusations and they're going to see the traps that are being set in order to trip up Jesus. And the temptation will face them that uh, they'll fall into a trap into which the scribes and Pharisees have already fallen. And that's the trap of hypocrisy. Now, the first thing we want to notice here in verse 1 is a little goes a long way. 
A little goes a long way. He said there in verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, leaven and hypocrisy, very similar in that a little goes a long way. Leaven is something you use in baking, I'm told. I'm not sure I know a lot about baking. You mix up a batch of cookies for me, I'll, I'll bake them for you. But the mixing up, that's the, that's the different thing. Or a cake. I don't know a lot about baking, but I understand that leaven is that little bit of yeast that's added to, say, bread to make it rise. Now, I've, I've noticed the cook in my house has been discouraged sometimes when the bread didn't rise like she thought it should. Maybe she got a hold of some bad yeast or something. I don't know. But uh, you put leaven in. Now, you, you just pour it in and it'll go, right? It might go kaboom. Well, a little will go a long way. For that reason, the Bible regularly uses leaven to describe an idea of influence. Influence can be good and influence can be bad. The Bible uses the idea of influence in both ways. The Israelites were to remove from their homes on the week of the Passover, according to Exodus 12, 15. And this was a symbolic of how they were to leave the pagan influences of Egypt behind when they went out into the wilderness. Jesus also used leaven to picture the kingdom of God and how it comes very small uh, to influence an entire world. We'll see that later in Luke chapter 13. Paul uses leaven to describe these old influences of our past life. How that we're to put them aside now that we've come to Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 8 says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For when, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what was the leaven of the Pharisees? Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us it was hypocrisy. And the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek. It's a compound word in the Greek. It uh, comes from joining two words together. Hupo is the Greek word for under. Krino is a word to, that means to separate or judge. And the resulting word was used in the Greek theater of the actors who would speak their parts behind a mask. Maybe it was the same actor doing several parts, and so he'd put on a different mask. But uh, uh, when used in that regard, it has the positive idea of one who answers a dialogue. But when in the negative sense, it describes one who says one thing while they believe another. One of the charges we often hear 
against churches is that they're full of hypocrites. Something that unbelievers say, and it often has a certain element of truth. A good response would be, we can always use one more. But the truth of the matter is that Christianity is diametrically opposed to hypocrisy. The reason this is the case is because Christianity strips away the mask. It says you are a guilty sinner and you are not worthy of the grace of God. It says you are a real sinner who commits real sins. It suffers from no illusions or, uh, or as to any inherent goodness on the part of its members. A hypocrite is a person who pretends to be good when he's not. A Christian is one who has confessed that he is a sinner, who's agreed with God that he is deserving only of death, and who has then cast himself upon the mercy court and found such mercy at the cross. Now the, the problem that arises when we come into the church, get around other nice-looking Christians, the moment that we face the temptation of the leaven of the Pharisees, come into those doors and maybe dress nice and look like, well, you're very, very well dressed for the services and you look like a real Christian. Well, we're tempted to pretend that we are not quite so bad any longer. And we're tempted to conform on the outside and let it stay there and go no further with it. So we come to, secondly, hypocrisy doesn't stay hidden. Hypocrisy doesn't stay hidden. Verse 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear, in the closet, shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Christianity is all about truth revealed. Part of that revelation involves who you are and what you are really like. Stated very simply, whatever is soon becomes known. Anyone with kids knows this principle. You know, uh, your kids might think they're keeping a secret, but they don't always keep very good secrets, do they? They try to conceal the truth. Johnny, did you eat that cookie? Not me. Got all these cookie crumbs around his mouth. Well, eventually it becomes known. First Timothy 5, 24 says, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they are they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Doesn't matter what you do, eventually becomes known. This applies to the good that we do as well as the, the sin that we commit. It even applies to the things that we say. There's a, uh, a popular commercial has to do with football, but it, it's two ladies 
neighbor ladies talking with each other. And the one says, why don't you come watch the game with us? And the little girl next to her says, but mom, you, you said you didn't want her to come and watch because she talks all the time. <laughs> well, part of this commercial is that the lady says, I didn't say that. Well, the little girl pro throws the red flag like they do on the football field. And so here comes the guy with the video, and sure enough, that's what she said. It applies to things we say. It applies to that which we yell from the rooftops. It applies to that which is whispered in the back room. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They had no sooner tasted for the forbidden fruit than their eyes were open and they're hiding from the presence of God. But you cannot hide from the presence of God. Soon there will be an insistent call. Adam, where are you? It was not as though God had lost track of them, by the way. Rather, he asked the question in order to bring Adam face to face with his own sin. And God does that with us as well. He might even, in that still small voice, say, where are you and what are you doing? Then he, when he does, he's not asking for his own benefit. He's asking for our benefit, causing us to think, where am I? What am I doing here? So hypocrisy is not hidden. Thirdly, hypocrisy is afraid of the wrong thing. Verse 4 and 5. But I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. After that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed him hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto him, fear him. So at the root of hypocrisy is fear. It's a fear that someone might think poorly of you. And that's why people play this mask game. We put on our mask while thinking people will be impressed with the mask that we wear instead of seeing the real person behind the mask. And so in doing that, we're being afraid of the wrong person. So there's a proper fear. Verse 5 says, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear is not necessarily a bad thing. A proper fear can be that which keeps you out of trouble. You know, little children often are in danger because they don't, they're not properly afraid of anything. You know, they might put a bunch of chairs on top of each other and start climbing up and think, hey, this is fun. Or we might keep them away from the stove or the oven or sharp objects because they don't have the proper fear of those things. But the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is appropriate to have a proper fear of God, not a fear that drives us away from him, but a fear that draws us close to him. And that's the specific correlation to the previous verses. If you're not afraid, if you're not afraid of the wrong thing, then we will also not be afraid to speak that which is to be revealed. That is the gospel. Not only a proper fear, but authority over hell. Verse 5 also says, Fear him 
which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. The word translated hell is the Greek word Gehenna. It's actually a transliteration of the Hebrew name for the valley of Hinnom. Uh, that was the deep ravine on the southwest side of Jerusalem that served as the city garbage dump. In the dark days of Israel's history, it was used as a place to sacrifice babies to pagan gods. Read about that in Second Chronicles 28 and chapter 33. But the name had come to have a reference to the place of future divine judgment. So that brings us to hypocrisy is unneeded. Verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more valued than many sorrow, uh, sparrows. Hypocrisy wears a mask so people will see the mask and they'll be impressed and they'll come to like the mask and will think that the mask is a true representation of the person wearing it. When you come to Christ, you'll find you need no mask. You'll find that God has already seen the way you really are and who loves you and values you anyway. That's what happened to the Samaritan woman. She came to the well that day with her mask firmly in place. And when Jesus stripped off her mask, she must have been terrified at the condemnation that she thought she would, that would follow. But instead, she found Jesus' love and forgiveness and acceptance. Now, the reference here to sparrows and the hairs of your head is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God is concerned for such minor things as sparrows and hair, how much more would he show concern and demonstrate his love for who, those who are his people? Fifthly, hypocrisy is seen in a silence and speaking. Verse 8 says, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, shall the Son of Man who also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. In the last chapter, we saw the Pharisees coming at Jesus and accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub or by Satan. They saw miraculous power. They couldn't deny that it was supernatural. So they did the next best thing. They attacked the source of the power. And so it was a hypocritical attack. They were hiding behind masks because they had been confronted by one who had exposed their own weakness and sinfulness. Their attack was a smokescreen. It was a mask behind which they could hide. And formulating the mask, they had only, not only spoken against Jesus, but had also spoken against the Holy Spirit of God. Now, why does Jesus make a distinction between one who speaks a word against the Son of Man versus one who blasphemes against the Holy Ghost? But it's because it's possible to see the man Jesus and initially not recognize who he is. But when you see the power of God's Spirit at work and you reject that power, there's no higher realm of evidence or influence that can hide you from the truth.
So it brings us to no defense versus no needed defense. Verse 11 and 12. And when they bring you into the synagogues and unto the magistrates and the powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer, or what shall ye say? For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour that ye ought, what ye ought to say. Hypocrisy has no defense. God's people need no defense. When you come to Christ, you find that you are relieved from worry about what God is thinking of you. But that's not all. You also find that you are relieved from worry about what people are thinking of you. Why is this? It's because you have a new advocate. You have someone who will be with you. It's the very Spirit of God. Now you notice the scribes and the Pharisees, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They spoke things against God that they should not have said. Followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit serves as their helper and will be taught by the Holy Spirit what they should say. Now, these words here of Jesus were not theoretical. They were actually prophetic. The book of Acts tells us the early Christians were being brought before both synagogues and rulers to answer for their faith. And a great deal of the book of Acts takes place with various laws of the ancient world. And the book of Acts is officially the account of those who were witnesses for the defense in those courts of law. Now, some have taken these verses and say, well, as a preacher, I don't need to prepare. All I need to do is get up in front of people and the Holy Spirit will tell me what to say. Some have taken that approach and I don't think it's the Holy Spirit telling them what to say, it's what, they're, what they've come up to say. I think uh, this does not mean preachers should never prepare before they preach or Bible teachers should avoid studying on what they plan to teach. No, I believe it does. Uh, I don't believe it does say that, but it does mean that when you're caught by surprise, ever been caught by surprise by someone who's asked you, what are you talking about? Jesus and what he's done for me and what are you talking about? Are you prepared to give an answer? Well, I think we should be prepared, but then we can be surprised. And I think many times the Holy Spirit can give us the answers to what we need. Now, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit just gives you doctrinal truth out of the blue. I think it's something that we have to have put in. It's like a computer. You, you have to put something in before you get something out. And in order for us to give out the gospel and get out the truth, we need to put that into our lives. That's why we spend time here in church. This is an input set, uh, session, okay? Your morning devotions are an input session. Uh, when you uh, sit down in the evening, perhaps, to study a certain passage or something, that's an input session. When you're driving in the car and you're listening to the Word of God uh, uh, over your radio or your, your uh, uh, media uh, source, that's input. But then what happens when someone confronts you? You weren't prepared for that. You say, oh... What am I going to say? The 
Holy Spirit can bring back to our minds some of those truths that we've been inputting. Does not mean that, it does mean that when we're caught by surprise, the Lord hasn't been similarly surprised and he was able to stand by you and speak on your behalf. It means that when you have the opportunity to speak the name of Christ, you can do so with confidence because you're not there alone. Maybe you're giving one of those uh, arrow prayers at the time when someone confronts you and says, you know, something about the Bible. Ask you a question about the Bible. You say, Lord, give me the answer. I think Lord can, can help us with that. Maybe he can even help us to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm going to look it up. Can I get back with you on that? And I think that goes a long way sometimes. Now, if that's a stranger that you meet, you know, just along the way, uh, you may not be, ever see that person again unless you make arrangements to get their address or something or get some, some way of communicating with them. But it's not wrong to say, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll find out. The story is told of a famous concert pianist who was scheduled to play for a packed concert hall and all the seats had been sold out weeks ahead of time, and everyone uh, who was anyone was gathered there to hear the recital. At the appropriate time, the lights dimmed and a curtain rose, and everyone was horrified to see a little boy who had wandered away from his parents, taken his seat at the grand piano. Not noticing the crowd, he began to play chopsticks. The concert pianist strode out on the stage and saw the little upstart performance and the audience was hushed and as he stepped up behind the little boy and could see him bend over and whisper, keep on playing, keep on playing. And then before the amazed audience, he added his own two hands to the playing of the little boy and filled in the bass and treble parts. Together they played through the rest of the piece and then they were met with a thunderous applause of the crowd. Now, there is some doubt, I'm sorry to say, to the authenticity of that story. Did it actually happen or not? I don't know. But you know, that's really what God does for us. He comes in and gives us a message, and he, he means the means by which to speak that message, and he says, keep on talking. And then he kind of helps us fill in the parts. It helps us to share in the rejoicing that's taking place in heaven. We just need to continue to be faithful to input the word of God so that we have that opportunity to give it out that we certainly will be faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 